Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to episode 6 of Gold and Guest Tot Tottenham. It's the international week at the moment, so we're just counting down the days till Saturday's return to Premier League action for Tottenham away at Crystal Palace. As always, I'm joined by Alice the Gold for today's podcast. Ali, how are you on uh, what has been a rather eventful uh, few days in terms of Tottenham and two players in particular? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think we both probably expected as normal international break was going to be an utter snooze fest. Um, but as always, Tottenham like to be at the centre of something ridiculous and uh, they provided that once again. Um, I know we're going to be speaking about it probably in depth uh, pretty soon, so I won't go too into it right now. But yeah, why? how did Tottenham find themselves in these scenarios? It's like when you looked at what was happening earlier in the week with all the clubs agreeing to not send their players... Only Tottenham could somehow, a few days later, find themselves in a scenario where Brazilian health officials are storming a football pitch during one of the biggest games in international football to essentially hunt down two Tottenham players. It's, it's mind-blowing, it really is. Yeah, it was definitely a bit of a crazy situation, nothing I've ever seen before on the football pitch, but we'll get all into that in a, a bit. Uh, today we're doing a bit of a Tottenham Q&A special. So Ali tweeted this morning, any questions? And we have plenty in. So we'll be going through those in a bit. Uh, first of all, though, apologies to anyone who listens on Apple Podcasts. We've no idea what happened last week. We don't know why episode five didn't drop in. Uh, I think basically we were told it was in the system. Uh, everything went through as normal, but it's just not shown up for some reason. So beardism. hope you did. It was beardism. I've got something about people with right. beards. So they wouldn't <laughs> let bearded podcasts drop into their, um, yeah, into their Apple system. Yeah. So hopefully you will have uh, managed to listen to it elsewhere over the past few days and fingers crossed this one does eventually drop in so we will be keeping an eye out on it just to make sure it does get in this time anyway we'll start the Tottenham Q&A obviously as I mentioned earlier it's the Christian Romero and Giovanni Lo Celso uh, situation what's dominated talk over the past few days got a question from Spurs Dad 222 Right, Ali, this one's for you. Just how serious a breach of club rules was Romero and Sanchez and La Celso travelling to South America and causing an official FIFA game to be canned? What fines, suspensions do you think? Oh, it's just such a mess. Although, may I just quickly ask, is there a, are there 221 other Spurs dads? Is that why he's had to go for 2-2-2? Two, two, two? must be, yeah. That's very <laughs> impressive. Um, yeah. It's just, as I said earlier, it's just Tottenham Hotspur. I just the amount of times that I have to write stories, and you're kind of getting all the information in, and you think to yourself, "How has it got to this point?" And that's just always the case with Spurs. So, the kind of rough timeline of what I understand happened in this case. So, obviously, if everyone's been anyone's been under a rock and isn't aware of this, uh, the rules with red list countries now are: if you're going to go to a red list country to come back. You then have to isolate for 10 days on arrival if you're coming back to the UK. So the FIFA, the FIFA, were, um, you know, they were trying, I think, with some governments to sort out that to not be the case. Obviously, we've seen now, we know the flip side happens in Brazil. If you're coming from the UK, you have to quarantine for 14 days there. Um, so, yeah, FIFA tried to get something, some, some exemptions in place. Because I think if you remember during the actual kind of, 
say during the pandemic we're still in it but during the kind of the real peak of it all um they allowed clubs to not release their players fifa didn't they they went to i think it was for was it for friendlies or it's for qualifiers i'm trying to remember it may have been some qualifiers as well but either way either way you had that option so fifa removed that but without actually kind of understanding that some governments were not exempting sports people so that meant that i think it was just under 60 different players from the premier league were going to be heading off to red list countries to play international games were all going to have to come back and at the very worst isolate in a government designated hotel where there wasn't really, you know, facilities for exercise, stuff like that. It essentially would have been just vegging out in front of the TV, watching movies or whatever they'd get up to. Um, maybe, you know, doing some sit-ups on the floor. Um, so the Premier League clubs came together because the other issue is because FIFA haven't allowed clubs to get out of this, essentially you get sanctioned if you don't release your players. So the Premier League clubs came together and very clearly as a unit said, that's not right. We're not going to release our players to play in red list countries during this break. And quite frankly, if you want to find us, find all of us together because we're all standing together on this. And the EFL actually came out as well. I think it was the next day and said any any of their clubs that had similar issues were standing by that as well. Then what didn't help matters, what I would say, yeah, all the Brazilian players, you know, you saw all of them, the likes of Edison at Man City, Firmino at Brazil, all these players, none of them joined up. So it was all done in the way it was meant to be done. Then, to not dig anyone out in particular, but Aston Villa probably didn't help the situation by doing a bit of a U-turn a couple of days later and allowing, uh, saying that they'd given permission for Buendia and Martinez, their two players, to link up with Argentina. So in itself, that then creates a little bit of divide. Um, and obviously, Spurs had two Argentinians in their squad. Um Christian Romero and Giovanni Lo Celso. So those two players, I mean, I'm going to say understandably, I think. I th I've got a bit of sympathy with them. I think they've been getting a lot of flack on social media, which I think has probably been too much. Um, you know, they have looked at the other two going and thought, well, we're going to stuff ourselves if we don't go because it, for various reasons, you know, there's two more qualifying uh, international breaks coming up with World Cup qualifiers. We're talking about October and November. This situation may not right itself by then. So in essence, as it stands right now, if you don't go now, you're likely not to play a part in the majority of the World Cup qualifiers for your country, hence not be in the World Cup squad. Um, and also on top of that, we know what South American football is like, the fervour, the incredible passion they have. If you don't want to play for their squad, you know, God knows what could happen to you. Kind of, we've seen some horrific things as well happen with some South American countries over football. Um, I'm not going to delve into it, but there's there's a past there. Um, so Lucelso and Romero both wanted to 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 go, um, and Davinson Sanchez in the same boat with Colombia. Um, you know, there's other elements. What I'm told is that certain players weren't too keen on going, but felt they had to. There's a lot of pressure, I'd imagine, from the National Football Associations of those countries as well. Um, so Spurs were like, essentially, well, we're standing with the other Premier League clubs. We're not releasing you. Um, however, if you're going to make this decision, there are consequences. And I understand the consequences are, are fine. They will be fined on their return, um, unless it's already been done. 
Um, and then it was sorted. I don't believe it was actually through the club, although we heard Nuno saying that there's a plan in place or they're trying to work out a plan. But we understand that the the plan, whether it's come from the Argentinian FA, whether it's come from the players, I don't know, but is to head to Croatia for 10 days. And that gets around all of the, well, what we said, staying in what probably would be a Premier in somewhere near an airport. Um, so, yeah. So that was the plan. However, <laughs> it's Tottenham Hotspur. So it continued to get even more chaotic. So Romero didn't play in the first game for Argentina. I think he was suspended, I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, Lacelso played about just over an hour. Then, as I alluded to earlier, everything went absolutely chaotic and haywire in the Brazil-Argentina match. And what that seems to have boiled down to was that at some point, whoever it was, whoever was responsible, did not declare that the four Premier League players I've just mentioned coming into Brazil did not declare that they'd been in the UK. I mean, let's be honest, they're Premier League players. <laughs> you'd have to you'd have to not be maybe the brightest person to just simply Google them or realize they're Premier League players. But hey, three days later. The Brazilian Health Authorities, I can't remember the acronym, The uh, but anyway, the Brazilian Health Authority. Anvisa, um, like Anvisa, is it? Anvisa, yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. Um, they cottoned on and started to investigate. I think they tried to get them at the hotel, from what I can understand from reports, because their plan, by the sounds of it, was to either deport them or make them quarantine for 14 days. Um, so they couldn't get them at the hotel because I think they'd already left for the stadium. Then they headed to the stadium, and that was why we got the most incredible scenes of, what, about six minutes into the match, if that, storming onto the pitch, and then just kind of all hell broke loose. You know, some of the players went to the went to the dressing room. We saw Messi coming back onto the pitch in a, uh, like a photographer's bib. It was like, ah, oh, yeah, well hidden there, Leo. <laughs> no one will recognize you now. Um, and so we had all of that. So that was that, was that element to it. Then... The game was suspended. Then we got told Argentina were flying back to essentially escape, I suppose. Not escape, that sounds really dramatic, but it, it prevented the need for those four players to then get kept in quarantine in Brazil. Then it continued to keep stay messy, um, not Lionel, because we the belief was from Spurs' end was that the two, uh, Romero and Lo Celso, would then come back and start this Croatian training camp. However, <laughs> Argentina seemed to be thinking otherwise. Um, and they only announced that Aston Villa's duo, Martinez and Buendia, uh, Buendia, were going to come home. And that was because they'd officially released their players and had a proper agreement in place. So then Spurs were genuinely yesterday in the dark about where they're, when, when the players were coming back, which is ridiculous. You know, it is. It's, you don't even, it's like... Well, oh no, we've lost two of our players. Where are they gone? <laughs> it's, like, it's just incredible. Um, then, you know, I think we're going to come to this a little bit later, but someone with some clout clearly has had a word with Argentina and said, just send them back. Just send them back now. This is ridiculous. Um, and so, as of last night, the two headed on a, hopped on a flight from Buenos Aires to Croatia. So they are now finally out of that ridiculous situation, although now obviously they'll have 10 days of training in Croatia. And just very quickly on Davinson Sanchez, he um, played against Paraguay. I don't know exactly how the rest of his performance went, but I've seen the goal that 
Colombia conceded and poor old Davinson, having been fantastic for Spurs, did manage to get himself nutmegged in the build-up, uh, which led to their, I think it was the opening goal for Paradise. It was 1-1 in the end. Um, so he, he left there. That, that seemed to have been a deal that was already struck um, and he, he left. But uh, I've had various people say, oh, yeah, but Spurs congratulated on their call-ups and everything. It's like some people are kind of claiming almost as if Spurs weren't to where they were going. It's like, no, they didn't like kind of run out after the Watford match and dive into a waiting play. Well, technically they did, but it's not like they did it clandestinely, like some kind of Da Vinci Code darkness type thing. Um, it was just like I said, Spurs said, well, we're not officially giving you permission to go. That's what we're deciding as Premier League clubs. But the players said, we feel we have to play. And it's it's rubbish for the players. They are. They're very much caught in this huge international tug of war. Um, and I, I do think it's been a little bit over the top, the flack they've been getting. I understand that, you know, Spurs fans are seeing Romero and thinking, you've only just come to the club and now you're ditching us. And they might look at the Celso and think, yeah, you know, you aren't even starting for the club right now and you're, you're heading off. But it's just... I don't know. The country thing is is maybe slightly different in South America. It's there's this incredible kind of pride that comes with it. And that's not to say European players don't have that pride, but you know, I think we did see that even last year. I feel like when the clubs were stopped or or were allowed to not release players, the European players still tried to do deals where there was only certain games they'd miss. I feel I remember that with Denmark and, and Hoybier only playing certain games. Um, you know, I think they, yeah, I think the key to this whole utter ridiculous mess is that it has to be fixed for the next two windows. They can't have that happen again. If it happens again, it's just incredible. And I'm sorry, I'm aware I've just gone on for 10 minutes, but it was such a ridiculously silly and complex situation. I had to explain it all, but, you know, I don't know what you you think of it. I think probably with all these questions, we probably can't afford time-wise for us both to have an opinion, but I think this one's so big, I just want to hear yours. It was crazy what had happened. I understand the need to uh, go and represent your country, given what it's like in Argentina and the South uh, American countries, and especially given the World Cup's not really that far away now. And over there, they've got so many qualifiers to fit in, so I can understand it. But then from Spurs' point of view, you've got a brand new manager. You're looking to impress him. Uh, Romero, we've barely seen him in the Premier League so far. It's just Europe, Conference League games where he's played. So he needs to obviously force his way into the team as soon as possible. And you're thinking for the best thing to do that is surely just stay, work with the players uh, this past week at Hotspur Way. And then Giovanni Lacelso, I mentioned last week, I think it's a bit of a maybe a now or never season for him at Tottenham because this is his third one and you can't be going into to the fourth season thinking what if basically are we eventually going to see the best of him he's someone who hasn't been in the starting lineup in the Premier League so far and he does need to uh, make an impression if he wants to become a permanent fixture in the team and for Tottenham to finally see the very best of him so yeah it's just a crazy situation as I said never seen anything like it before but then you've got the qualifiers coming up in uh, October November and this can't happen again because obviously they're going to potentially miss two games now. And then, you know, if it's a break every month, they've probably only got another two games until it's international break again. Yeah, This this is what it's like. So they can 
if they're away October, November, it's just going to be such a stop-start season for them. And because of it, they could find themselves on the bench more often than not. And I think that probably will be the case. So, yeah. yeah it's, we, think gonna make, just... we think they're going to miss uh, Palace and Wren. Right. It looks to yeah. be. I mean, there's some talk that maybe they could just be back on a day of Wren, but I, I think some confusion over whether day zero counts or day one counts. It's, it's all a bit, I mean, anyone looks on the government website, it's a little bit unclear on certain aspects. Um, I, I think they just won't risk it, to be honest. I think they'll probably miss Wren. Um, and then you, you have them then ready for Chelsea if required. Um, but yeah, I'm sure we'll get, I think there's more questions about who will play in their absence and stuff like that. So we'll get to that. So I'll ask you one now. Um, Chris Ag, Agomba asks, with Paratici, oh my God, I said his name wrong, straight, the first time I said it, with Paratici, that's because I haven't said it in a few days, with Fabio Paratici now in place, do you think it is more likely we will be doing business in the January transfer window as he has a wider network? Well, Spurs aren't traditionally movers in the January transfer market, are they? It's only really... Deli Alley in 2015, but that was signing because of his talent, learning back to MK Dons. Lucas 2018, then Jose brought in Stephen Bergwijn and Gedson in 2020. Uh, January is just such a tough market to negotiate. There's not a lot of players available. If they are, clubs want big money, so I think it, it's got to be right for Spurs. I can't see... Uh, Paratici and Daniel Levy wanting to splash out big money for the sake of it if it isn't the right player uh, but I think the next few months will tell us whether or not Spurs potentially need to bring in a new striker in January given they didn't sign one uh, in the summer window and then obviously there could be other positions they need to strengthen but as I said it's such a tough window I think it's got to be the right option I think Pochettino previously alluded to it. If you're bringing in someone in January, by the time they're up to speed, it's, it's the summer. So that's why I think it was always a case of rather strengthening in the summer than January. But I think they'll take a look, see what the situation is. But I think summer market's probably where they got to do the vast majority of the business. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Right. Question for you from Philip Aldus. How do you see the battle for the right-back slot shaping up? Will it be Tanganga versus Emerson with Doherty barely getting a minute? Or do you think Emerson will be first choice and Tanganga will get some minutes at centre-half this season? Good question. Um, I think at the moment, it's probably Jaffet's shirt to lose because he's he's deserved it. Um what I would say, and we'll probably this cross over slightly into another question that might come later, I'll be intrigued to see what happens against Palace because if I'm Nuno Espirito-Santo and I'm not entirely sure whether Joe Roden is fit enough yet, I potentially keep both Emerson and Tanganga happy by playing Tanganga in central defence alongside Dyer and have Emerson on the right. Or you go for a back three, which I'm not the huge biggest fan of, but you could do that as well. Um, I think clearly Spurs would not have bought Emerson if they did not believe that he would event he would become the first choice. I had one question which we probably won't get to, so I'll kind of answer it in this as well. Someone asked whether signing Emerson was a bad thing for Jaffet Tanganga. Yes, yes, it is. It is a bad thing for Jaffet Tanganga. 
Because right now, Jafitson Kanke is undisputed for me, number one. Uh, whereas if you're signing a new player for the right-back slot, clearly, um, what I would say is they're very different right-backs. So there will be games when you need one or the other. Um, you know, in certain games, you'll want Jaffet to be there and tuck in and make a back three at times. And in others, you'll want Emerson to bomb on down that wing. I think Matt Doherty's is unfortunately just going to have to rely on injuries at the moment, I think. I, I'd say he is third choice. And that's purely because, unfortunately for him, when he's come in, in, in both the European games, he hasn't really put down a marker to say why he should be above them. And even I watched him for Ireland the other day against um, Azerbaijan didn't really kind of do too much in that either. And I think that's the thing. It, it very much could be a confidence thing. Um, we see that with lots of players. Um, and he's been a very, very good, um, maybe say right wing back in the past. I still believe that suits him better than a right back. Um, but yes, I, I think I think it's Jaffet's shirt to lose. But I think Emerson will quickly be making a play for that. And, and he will be looking to impress immediately. I'll ask you one now. Um, ooh, there's a good one. There's a good one. Nick Thomas at Nick Thomas sixty two asks, "Why do you think the club's hierarchy have consistently ignored the need for a creative midfielder and another striker? For years, we've been hit when Kane or Son get injured with no ready-made replacement to step in. Lorente was probably our only decent backup option." Well, I think it's just so hard convincing a striker to come to Tottenham when you've got Harry Kane there, especially when uh, Tottenham were playing 4-2-3-1 formation. I think that was made clear in the past. Was it Murata who was offered the yeah. chance and it was just basically, well, I'm not going to get a game. I might as well go somewhere else. So I think it's always been hard to convince someone to come to Tottenham knowing you're going to play second fiddle to Kane. Uh, creative midfielder, they've just not replaced Christian Eriksen. You had the perfect player there, but obviously he moved on in January 2020. You've got players such as Delhi, uh, Tangi on the belly, Giovanni Celso, who can play in that role just behind the striker. And I think, obviously, this summer, I think there was other priority positions, first and foremost, rather than bringing in a creative midfielder, centre-back needed strengthening, needed... Uh, a new right back as well, uh, options on the wing with Lamella going. So given there was players such as Tangi, Giovanni Lacelso, Delhi as well to play there, that's why I don't think the strength in there. But again, it's one they're going to have to take a look at over the next uh, couple of months and that, you know, wait and see what happens if they need to bring, try and bring one in, in January if the right options there are in the summer in terms of a striker, you know, it depends what formation Nuno wants to play. Uh, there was talk of, obviously, they'd made the move for Dusan Vlajevic, Fiorentina, and Lutero Martinez into Milan, but those didn't uh, come to fruition. I think rather than looking for a backup this year, they wanted someone who could play alongside Kane and, you know, be like the future of uh, the strike force leading the line for Tottenham, but that just didn't happen. I think, as I said, it's a case of, bringing in the right player, not just bringing in someone in for the sake of it. But I think everyone just wants those two positions uh, sorted ASAP. And I think it will help in terms of the uh, squad depth if they do manage to solve that. Yep. Yep. I agree. Right. What you got for me? Question from John Hans. What kind of season do you think Ryan Sessignon will have? How much game time do you see him getting? Because obviously there's 
a lot of options, both at left back and on the left wing. Well, Ryan Sessegnon, he's just having a mare, isn't he? He kind of started the season, started came back in summer, all fit and ready to prove himself after this Hoffenheim loan, and he picked up a hamstring injury, which kept him out for like the bulk of pre-season. Then he got a few minutes in the two European games, and now he's gone away on England under-21 duty and picked up a little knock in training um, with them and has had to come back. I just, he's just, I think sometimes this happens with young players, isn't it? I don't know whether it's a... Their body's still adjusting to the rigours of, of regular football. I don't know, but they just seem to pick up a lot. And for him, it's pretty much ever since that really serious hamstring injury on England under-21 due to those European Championships, summer of 2019, just ever since that, he just picks up these little annoying injuries. I think a little bit like I was saying about Matt Doherty, I think he's probably, at the moment, third choice in that left-back slot. Um, however... What I would say that is in his favour is that Nuno's a big fan of his. Tried to sign him twice, I'm told, when he was at Wolves, um, or tried to get Wolves to sign him twice. Um, and the key to him will just be finding exactly what his best position is. You know, is he a left wing back? Like we think Doherty is on the right. Is Can he play as a left back? Is he better, you know, as a winger? We've seen him play in two different roles thus far. Um, in the European matches. You know, one was a wing-back, one was actually on the left of a three behind the striker. I, I really like Ryan Sessegnon. I think I think he's a very good young player with a lot of attributes. And at the moment, I'd probably say his versatility is probably a little bit maybe like Eric Dyer's found in the past. It's probably is hampering him slightly and really settling into one role. Um, and obviously, he's also unfortunate. He's got Sergio Regalon, who's obviously just been called up for Spain, and Ben Davies, a Welsh international, there ahead of him right now. Um, <clears throat> there should be enough matches he'll get minutes. And we know players get injured. Obviously, it's him at the moment, but there's no no reason why Regalon or Davies won't pick up injuries as the season goes on. And Spurs are pretty much going to be playing, you know, one game every weekend and one midweek match almost every week until um, the turn of the year. So, yeah, he will get minutes. He will. But as exactly as I said about Doherty, it's just key that every time he gets a chance, he takes it. Because I just got the impression, I asked Nuno about him in, was it me? I can't remember. Someone asked him about him. I think it was after the away and home legs. And it's just his opinion wasn't great. It was just like, we know he can do more than he's given us. And I think that's the key with him. You know, he's got to make every single minute on that pitch count. Um, right, I'm going to ask you. Oh, no, that's another session on one, so we can't ask that. Um, there's a question for you. Um, Sean Rimmer asks Has there been much negative Daniel Levy banners or chants from the fans in the stadium this season? Seems like the anger towards him and the running of the club has been forgotten a bit. Yeah. I think so. I think what's probably helped Daniel Levy this season is uh, the Harry Kane situation just obviously stood firm. He could have uh, caved in and just allowed Kane to move on, but Man City just didn't do enough to uh, make uh, him their record signing. I think, was it, what, 75 million plus 25 million in add-ons? I think that's what was uh, offered. So I think Daniel Levy certainly helped himself uh this season uh, with uh, what happened with 
uh, Kane managing to keep him at the club. So I think everything at the moment is a lot, lot better than it was compared to was it back in April when it was the European Super League and oh, yeah. all that, oh, all that came out. That was well. just, yeah. So I think his uh, situation among Spurs fans is uh, a lot, lot better at the moment. It's certainly a lot more positive than it was a few months ago. Right. Question for you from Kerry King. The question and want some advice. Uh, in need of in need of some fantasy football help, please. Uh, <laughs> you're probably not the right person to ask this. To be honest, I think are you bottom of the football London League or round the bottom? Yeah. Can, can we add in the the uh, explainer with this though that I'm so rubbish with fantasy football in terms of <laughs> I probably check my team twice a year. Um, I'd like to say it's just because I'm busy and not because I forget it exists, but that's the reason. I'm right. Bottom. Question. Uh, Always puts uh, maximum free space plays in. Who yeah. would you pick? Who's going to pick up the most points? Desperate to put Brian Hill in, but not sure how much game time he will get. So which free space plays would you go for? Yeah, I think Brian Hill will be very much a season of kind of starting to prove himself. I don't know if he'll be a regular in the Premier League just for a little while yet. Um I think it's one of those where two are obvious, aren't they? Kane and Son, you know, are going to start every single yeah. week pretty much without fail. Um, and it's a difficult one, isn't it? It's about points, I suppose. I'd maybe go maybe someone like Regulon because I think he will probably start most Premier League games. And then as the season goes on, I think he will start to get more and more assists and chipping in with those as well. So I'd imagine he's a bit of a double bubble in fantasy football. Yeah, See? those are the three I'd agree with you on. I, yeah. I always have Kane and Son and then Reggie on. We saw at Wolves, he made the assist for Deli Alley's penalty. Spurs have started yeah. well, three clean sheets. So, yeah, go for those three. But obviously, if you don't do well, don't blame us too. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not our fault. That's a no. disclaimer we're putting on that. Um, right. At Hyperbowl THFC says... Is there any plus side for Tottenham as Daniel Levy is now a board member of the European Club Association? Uh, <laughs> I've got his visions of the like the Godfather now. I'm sitting at the table like I've got the power kind of thing. Yeah, obviously. Well, uh, hopefully it does. I suppose we'll find out over the coming months. But I think that's just been announced this morning, hasn't it? Yeah. Do you think he had Daniel a cheeky Levy. word with Argentina? <laughs> yeah, hopefully. And obviously we've seen Sonny's come back early as well, hasn't he? Or has yeah, he well, Sonny's got a, an injury. A, yeah, a little, uh, I think it's a thigh sprain. We're just trying to get exactly confirmation. There's some talk that it's pretty minor and that the KF, the Korean Football Association are saying it's it's only a couple of days kind of injury, um, which suits Spurs, obviously. Um, but we, yeah, at this point, as we're recording this, we haven't had confirmation. If I get any as we're recording, I will quickly cut in and say that. But yeah, do you think Levy now, as the Premier League's representative on that body, I mean, it's got to give Spurs, a li- at least it gives them a seat at the table, quite literally gives them a seat at the table. Exactly. It's a position of uh, power, isn't it, really? So I think yeah. that's something Daniel Levy will like. And as he said, hopefully it does uh, work in Spurs' favour with him sat at the top of the table. And after all the right. Super League stuff as well. It's yeah. kind of quite surprising when you think about it. Yeah, right. Uh, let me see the next question. 
One from Nikki, who is at Highland Spurs 1. With Kane's move falling through, can we see him staying at Spurs his whole career? I think I've said this before. I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't because, I mean, there's two ways to look at it. You could say that there's still the chance next summer his value will have dropped slightly. Um, I'd say slightly because if he has another incredible season and he's still got two years left on his deal, then your value doesn't it doesn't plummet. You know, we've just seen Mbappe, Real Madrid trying to sign him for like two hundred million when he had like nine months left on his contract. So there's no kind of precedent set where it has to plummet. Um, but on the other side, is it's kind of like when you see that Haaland is probably going to be moving on next summer, when you see that Mbappe is probably going to be moving on next summer, it's almost like, as ridiculous as it sounds because he's such an incredible player, it's almost like where does Harry Kane then fit into that? You know, he said he doesn't want to move abroad. Um, Man City, you'd think, will probably have a go for Haaland if, if Real Madrid are likely to get Mbappe. Um, yeah, I, I, I just... I, it sounds awful to say because it's great for Spurs fans, but in Harry Kane's kind of point of view, I just wonder whether his chance has gone. I wonder whether this was this summer. Um, and who knows what he and Spurs can do with Nuno as well at the helm. Um, I'd be surprised, I think, if they don't at least offer him a new contract. Um, you know, there's been talk of maybe he tried to put in a release clause. It's not really something Daniel Levy does. I'd be very, very surprised if that were to be the case. I certainly wouldn't be looking to do another gentleman's agreement <laughs> if, if there was one. That didn't work out too well. Um, yeah, I, I might, I'd might. i say if I was going to go with my gut right now, I'd say I think Kane will now stay at Tottenham. Um, I think every big player has this moment, these kind of players that stay at a club for most of their career have this moment where they're kind of almost go to another. We saw it with Gerrard. Um, we saw it with, I think, even Rooney. Obviously, he's not a one-club man, but you know what I mean. Um, even Messi, you know, everyone thought he was going to leave last year. Yes, he has left this year, which slightly ruins it, but he he wanted to stay. It's not his fault. It was more La Liga's financial uh, constraints, as it were. Um, so, yeah, I, I reckon so. But, you know, it's football. We've just had health officials running onto a, a football match, so you can't say anything with certainty anymore about football. I think it had to be this summer, as you said, especially with Erling Haaland being so cheap uh, uh, in the uh, next summer. I really think it had to be uh, of the past few months where he was going to move on. I think it's only really, if you said he doesn't want to go abroad, is it potentially only really Manchester United now? Because yeah. they're going to get to a point soon where Cabani's going to go, Ronaldo's 36, Martial's going to move on at some point. So they might have they might need a new striker. But yeah, it's maybe. just going to have to be big, big money, isn't it? Whatever the case. Yeah. And Pep was quite definitive, wasn't he? He was yeah. very much, enjoy the rest of your career, mate. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's that thing. Um, right. It's, um, it's my turn, isn't it? Yeah. Right. I've got you... Um, Hamish, well, Hamish Williams at Hambo number five. Like that. Bit of a play on Mambo number five. What's the latest with Joe Roden's fitness? Will he be available versus Crystal Palace? And any truth to the Frank Kessie rumours? Well, he's gone to... He's linked up with Wales, hasn't he, at the moment, uh, for their final game. So uh, 
I think it'll probably all depend on how he comes through uh, their World Cup qualifier. And then uh, we'll see if he does start on uh, Saturday. But I think, obviously, no Sanchez, no uh, Romero. You'd like to think Joe would start. I really hope he does because I think he deserves his chance in the team after such a good uh, spell at the Euros. But as you mentioned earlier, could be a case of start Emerson at right back, push uh, Tanganga across into centre-back. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, if he doesn't start at Palace, fingers crossed he gets some game time against Ren because he is, thankfully, he's in the Europa Conference League squad this season. Uh after missing out last season, unfortunately. So, yeah, hopefully he'll be in the uh, team sooner rather than later. Frank Kessie, AC Milan, he's out of contract, isn't he, in the uh, he is. summer? He is. He's a player Spurs like. Yeah. Um, I think there'll be quite a few clubs all having a go. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, another midfielder to bring in can only help. So, yeah, right. it's going to be pretty packed in that central midfield. I just want to very quickly say, because I said I'd update on Son as we went on, the um, Korean Football Association have currently said Son felt discomfort in his right leg calf yesterday uh, on the 6th. Uh, he had a test and it was found out he had a sprain in his right calf. We exclude him from today's lineup to protect the player. Um, you know, there's, there's what some people saying three to five days, some people saying up to 10 days. What I would say is, Excluding from the lineup to protect the player tells me that it's just something not to risk him with rather than something that it sounds like he could have played, but it would have been a bit daft to do so, uh, which hopefully, fingers crossed, um, isn't too serious. Um, and like I say, if I, if I hear anything before the end of this podcast even more, I shall update. Right. Question for you from Pixels Pencil. Now that Ndombele is included in the Euros, uh, Europa Conference League squad, do you think he may get some game time? Will Nuno be trying to ease him into the squad via the competition and then, say, a transition then into Premier League games? Yeah, well, I tried to hand Nuno one of my laminated membership cards for the Tongi Ndombele uh, fan club, but unfortunately he wouldn't take it off me. Um, that's not true, by the way. I didn't actually do that. Um yeah, I think, you know, naturally, you know, we, we worked out all the, the squad kind of stuff and, and the players. I think he was always going to be back in it, whatever. It's like the numbers mean that Tongi, you know, unless unless they went an absolute curveball and, and picked one of the, the young uh, young kind of academy players that hadn't quite qualified yet, I think he was always going to be in it. You know, probably don't need to spend too long on this one because I've spoken about it so much. Just essentially, it's down to Tongi now. It really is. Um, especially with the Lacelso mess that's gone on. It's absolutely down to Tongi to, um, to, to to come into the team, smash it, and make himself undroppable. Um, that's it, really. It's quite a simple one, really. There's not, there's not too much to it. He's not going to be ostracised. He's not going to be exiled. I don't get the impression Nuno's like that. I think he has very strong opinions on, on players, but essentially when he's a player that the club have invested so much money in and clearly is such a gifted individual, you don't just give up on him because he had a bit of a hissy fit and wanted to leave. Um, you 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 get him back in there and you, you see how he works. And like I say, come on, Tongi, sort it out, mate. Um, right, one for you. Um, I will ask you. I saw a good one. I was going to ask you. Technically, this is for both of us. Um, Josh at thfc underscore Josh with two H's asks, "Who is your favourite Spurs signing this summer?" And he says it's for both of you. 
favorite one. <laughs> hopefully, it's like between your children. Yeah, hopefully it will be Romero. So I think there's a really good player there who can be, you know, a big player for years to come. I think he's uh, someone who has made such an impression in Italy over the past three years, won Serie A Defender of the Year, played the big part in helping Argentina win the Copa America. And, you know, Spurs wouldn't have made the move for him if they didn't think he's going to be uh, a key part of the defence for years to come. So hopefully it will be Romero, but I like the look of uh, Brian Hill, what I've seen of him so far in the Conference League. I think he's probably just about finding his... Uh, best position on the pitch at the moment but what I've seen of him likes to get on the ball likes to make things happen I think he's going to be a good player as well so yeah uh, I'd probably say Romero in the future yeah I think you've absolutely nailed exactly what I would have said to be honest I think Romero could be a game changer to get through this international mess and I hope people don't let that distract from just how good I think Romero is going to be for Spurs and yeah and Brian Hill I think They've just got to nail down that role for him. As soon as they nail down that role, I think we're going to see a very talented young player come into the fore. And, you know, he's got a, he's kind of got a bit of everything. He can pass, he can dribble, he's very creative, he's clever movement. He really could... They've just got to decide, is he a guy that can ultimately become the new Ericsson? Because the more and more I watch him play, I think there's the abilities there to do that. Um, some have even made a Modric comparison and said maybe he could end up coming even deeper and becoming that kind of player. Um, it's just, uh, Nuno touched on it. He said, we've just got to work, give him very specific tasks. And when we do that, I think he'll really quickly adapt. So yeah, exactly the same as you. I'd say Romero for the now and Achille, I think, for the kind of the future. I think, I think they're two very good signings. And it's not to say the other signings aren't very good. Just, you know, I think those two are particularly the ones that kind of, Made me go, ooh, <laughs> kind of when they came in. <laughs> I like the idea of them. Right. Question from Scott Clay at Scott H. Clay. Considering Hoybier had more league assists than Endombele last season when he was playing the holding role, do you have high hopes for him this season with more freedom to get forward in the box-to-box role? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I mean, we saw what he did in the um, Euros, and I mean, he was right up there with the assists, wasn't he, in the assist chart? And he um, was definitely benefited from not having to just sit in that anchor man role. He kind of getting up the pitch as well. And I think that the logic is that Oliver Skip will allow him to be similar, will allow him to be more box to box. I think that's the beauty of the whole Skip Poivier partnership is that both of them, I believe, are capable of either being the holding man or the one who's bursting up the pitch and kind of just being the. I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like the foundation of the attack, the guy that kind of just plays out the ball to the ones who can really do the damage. Um, although I think both are capable of playing that killer ball if they're in the position to do so. Um, you know, we've said this a million times, but Hoybier's ball for Aurea at Old Trafford was just still one for me, one of the best passes of uh, of recent seasons. It was superb. Um, yeah, yeah. I think um, I think it's. He had a big first season. You know, we can't just say it's going to be a big season for him because he had a terrific first season at Spurs Hoybier. Um, but I think he can build on that. And I think he'll become more of a leader in this team as well. I think he's going to be very important for being Nuno's. Nuno's 
eyes and ears on the pitch or voice on the pitch, however one of you want to say it. Um, I'm going to ask you, uh, at Brad57917 asks, what would you have changed about the transfer window for Spurs? Anyone you don't agree with that we signed or anyone else we really should have made the effort to get? Uh, well, I think with the summer window, it's planning for the here and now and also the future. That's quite clearly the case with Brian Hill, Pape Sarr, Christian Romero, Emerson as well. For me, I know there was talk of a centre-back leader. I think that could potentially be an option in the future transfer windows, but I think it's going to be a case of see how they get on at the moment. But as a team, you always want to upgrade positions, so that could be one to look at. A striker, I think it's the obvious one. Uh, there's just no other out-and-out striker at the club. I know Dane Scarlett is, what, 17. You can't be piling too much pressure on Dane's shoulders at that age. He just needs to be eased in in the Europe Conference League, the Carabao Cup, and then the Premier League as well, just giving minutes here and there off the bench if there's opportunities to do so. But I think they can get away with it, especially with Son being able to play through the middle. Lucas can as well to an extent. I think he's much better out wide or as a number 10. But we'll see what happens over the coming months. But fingers crossed it doesn't come back to bite them uh, in the next few months. Right, got a question from Hotspur Hurley, 61, Sean Hurl. Do you think Nuno can work his magic on Harry Winks as he seems to have done on Eric Dyer and DeVincent Sanchez so far? Um, it's got to get him on the pitch first. I mean, at the moment, he's you know he's not really one of the first names on the team sheet in the Premier League. He will, as you know, said about others, he will get lots of minutes in in the cups. Um, you know, I'll always say the same about Harry Winks. It's kind of deciding what he is really, and and then. You know, I spoke about Skip and, and Hoybier being able to play that box-to-box role. Winks, sometimes I think he can, and then sometimes he does stuff where you think, oh, no, kind of thing. It's like he can put in crunching tackles. We saw it against Pesos de Ferreira for the first goal. He put in a terrific tackle, which and then followed it up with a lovely ball over the top for Hill to pass to Kane to score the goal. And you can kind of see in that moment he's got the ability to do both things. But it's just the consistency with him just doesn't seem to be there at the moment. You know, I've never been on the Harry Winks hate train. I will always point to his performances in like in the Bernabeu against Real Madrid, in the Champions League against Borussia Dortmund, he was superb, at Wembley against Liverpool. There's a very, very good play. You know, you don't get Pochettino calling in the little um, Iniesta for nothing. You know, it's not just because, you know, he gets a lot of hate now. And I think a lot of it comes again from the, the lack of rhythm, the lack of uh, confidence. Um, Nuno could be the man that, to get that out of him. I think it would probably take an injury to either Skip or Hoybier for him to kind of get the game time for it to happen. But um, yeah, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. It would be a shame. I think we do have this habit um, as football fans sometimes of really getting excited about players that come from within in the club. But then quickly deciding we want um, sexy foreign signings instead and we want these people to come in and we kind of dispense with them and we immediately start looking for their kind of their downfall, as it were. Um, and I think, unfortunately, with Harry Winks, you know, it's 
it's been a little bit easier to spot purely because I, d- I do think I think he had a, t- a good season with Sissoko in the Champions League final year in you know in that that season. I think the two of them played really well, and just for some reason or another, he just hasn't been able to progress in the season since. Um, maybe that he needs another club, maybe he needs a fresh move. Um, he very much, from everything I understand, was very intent on fighting for his spot this season at Spurs. So. Good luck to him. Let's see what happens because there is a talent to play in there. There is. He um, just needs to find his best position. That's yeah. what he needs to do. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Right. Here's a tough one for you. This is from, well, technically, the username is just a full stop, but their um, <laughs> their handle, and this is probably how I pronounce Tongi's name sometimes, is Ndonge Tombele. Um, <laughs> It's, this is one. It's just, this sounds. This reads like you know when you used to do exams at school. This is exactly how the questions used to be termed, ready or phrased. Nuno was hired to stabilise the club while our revenue is being replaced, uh, replenished. Then they'll sack him for a top coach. That's why he only got a two-year deal and only one first-team signing, which is a loan. So the next manager can have room to bring in his own players. Discuss. <laughs> I want four hundred fifty words, please. Your time starts now. Well, uh, everyone knows Nuno wasn't the first choice. I think it was yeah. a case of working down the list one day and then they just needed someone. But as I've said in previous podcasts, I think if you appointed Nuno 12 months ago, I think a lot of fans would have been happy because his stock was incredibly high after, you know, guiding towards with it. Seven plays, two seasons on the trot, uh, did well in the Europa League. Well, he's done very well so far at Tottenham and if he carries on this way I think he'll be here a lot longer than two years and we've seen in the past Spurs might not get the first choice managerial appointment but that's not always a bad thing because look how Pochettino did you know consistently in the top four Champions League final got to semi-finals of Cups just couldn't make that you know get over the final hurdle so if Nuno carries on the way he's doing uh, then yeah, I think he can definitely be here for two years or more, definitely. Yeah, it's early days yet, but he's heading yeah. in the right direction. Yeah, question from Nate. It is His handle is State of Coys. Right, what, <laughs> what are the club's ambitions for this season? Top six and bill for top four next season. My feeling is that to get top four this season, a new note would have to be coach of the year. I agree with the latter part. I do think it would be an incredible achievement. I think Spurs' target every year is always the top four, at least. I think I don't think they've dropped that as their standard. Um, you know, cynically, you could say because of the money that comes with it, but also just just purely for the the status of being a Champions League club. And I don't think that's any different. I think obviously other clubs have spent a lot of money um, in in certain. Uh, avenues as it were but we know that that doesn't always guarantee anything um, at all and I think if Nuno can get a close-knit squad together can get them back to those kind of potch days of being a very much a fight for everything kind of outfit like I say it is very early days and we I was about to say he hasn't really had any difficulties yet but the poor bloke has had to deal with the Harry Kane saga this international mess um not being first choice, the transfer window and all it's kind of that comes with it with Tottenham. 
he has actually dealt with a hell of a lot already and come out the other side at this early stage with Spurs top of the league and, and qualified for the, the group stages of Europe. Not not saying that it was the hardest job to do that, obviously. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say still top four will be the target. I think that's what you aim for. I don't think you set a top, a top six target should never be Spurs' aim anymore. I don't think it should. I think that's too low. I think you should always aim for the top four. And then if you don't, you don't. Um, I do agree 100%. If he gets them in the top four, I think he should be up there in consideration for coach of the year because I think it'll be a phenomenal achievement in terms of piecing together what was such a fragmented squad. Um, I think it'll be terrific. Um, and obviously, uh, Paratici will have done his job behind the scenes as well. Yes, I pronounced it correctly. Um, yeah, so I'd say top four, and I'd say I, I agree to both sides of that question. Right, I'm going to make you talk about Lacelso again. It's kind of touched on slightly what you said before. Andrew Richardson asks, do you expect Lacelso depart to depart next summer if he gets injured or doesn't fulfill his potential this year? Already a stuttering start with the international frenzy. I think it's such an important season for him because we've not seen the best of him. We've seen it in glimpses, a bit like uh, Tangy on the belly. It's definitely not being helped with uh, injuries at the moment, but the current 4-3 formation, I think, can really work in the Celso's favour to give him more of a bit of an attacking licence with Hoybier and Skip behind him. If it's another stop-start season and then injuries on top of that, I think you probably might have to consider parting with him. I don't think you want to be heading into a fourth season thinking, where uh, basically, is this going to be the season we see the best of him? Because Spurs did spend an awful lot of money on him. So, fingers crossed that this will be the season we do see the very best of him because he is such a talented player. But I just don't think you can keep going on and on, just waiting and waiting for a player to finally reach the best cost. May never happen. Right, Ali. Uh, question from Jay Hinton, 1970. What will happen to Alfie Whiteman as his contract is up next summer and he's on loan until then? Will he return to Spurs and sign a new one or leave for free? Well, as I found with Cameron Carter-Vickers <clears throat> in the very late night on deadline day, never ever believe <laughs> the contract end date stated anywhere for young players at Tottenham because um, the club have this habit, and this isn't the first time, I think they did this with Tanganga at some point as well, of behind the scenes extending the player's contract when they go out on a loan, just essentially to protect themselves for when the player comes back. It may be an automatic option taken up, or it may be that the players just agreed to stick another year on at the same rate, and that means the option gets taken over. So it's a big year for Alfie Whiteman. It's People underestimate how difficult it is to get um, goalkeepers' loans. Um, I was told this by um, one of the coaches at Spurs a couple of seasons back in the academy. Um, and he kind of he explained that to me. He said, I don't think people realise that every other position on the pitch, pretty much, you can, you know, you, you can loan out players quite quite easily because there's so many uh, positions that they can play in and stuff like that. Whereas for a goalkeeper, to find them alone at the level you require and where they're guaranteed to play every week to increase their development and progression is so difficult. 
And that's why people probably look at Brandon Austin heading off to Denmark, wasn't it, with Viborg last season, um, last season, and then, sorry, the season before, and then he went to Orlando City as well in the MLS. And now um, Alfie Whiteman going to, is it Defagors? I'm not sure entirely how you yeah. pronounce it. Uh, in Sweden, and people probably look at that and think, they're random as anything. Why are they headed off to those random countries? And it's purely that. It's like, it's not as easy to say, oh, send them out to League Two and they'll play there or something like that. It doesn't really work like that. It's um, You have to almost guarantee that they're going to start every game. And that's, even when they get there, sometimes that isn't the case. Um, so for Alfie, this is big. This is his first loan. This is his first chance to really get senior football under his belt. Um, you know, Brandon Austin definitely benefited. Um, obviously, he's now he's in England under-21 international, although I don't think he was in the most recent squad, was he? Um, but now he's back as a third-choice keeper at Spurs, which is a step up for him in a way. Um, and for Alfie Whiteman, it's about going away and just kind of pushing on his career as well. So, yeah, I wouldn't say Alfie will just disappear off into the sunset next summer. That's not guaranteed at all. He may well already have added an extension onto his deal. Um, right, question for you from at Smooja, Peter Smith. Um, I'm going to have a little say on this as well after you. Do you have any thoughts or info about the par- Paratici hitching working dynamic and about their appearances on the bench? And I think this is probably hinting towards that article that came out. Yes, uh, I saw that article, but there was something on uh, the Tottenham website the other day about the Q&A they had with uh, Paratici. And yeah. he was on about, I think uh, he was asked why he's so passionate about uh, obviously his job. And like we've seen him on the match day, we've seen the videos of him against Man City and Watford getting up, shouting uh, at the assistant referee at Wolves. He was really, really upset when a foul went against uh, Oliver Skip and Adama Traore. And I think he basically, basically explained that his. If he's so passionate in and around, you know, the subs bench and that in the uh, in the stand, that rubs off on the players. Then they see that basically everyone is as one, working to this end goal, and everyone's pulling in the right de- direction to try and achieve it. Quite what the players think about that, I'm not sure, especially with uh, the subs just in front of them or next to them. Uh, because it's something they probably haven't had before with uh, members of, obviously, the uh, higher-up at Spurs, you know, just getting involved on the match day. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's definitely been interesting for us to watch and just see what Perastici and Hitchin does because, it's like I said, it's just something we've never seen before. Yeah. I mean, what we should obviously like stress to people is that they haven't just decided... Move over, lads. We're coming down here. We're sitting on the bench. That's not what's happened. I've even seen some people say, oh, my God, they're undermining Nuno. How dare they be there? And all that. It's like, that's not what this is. This is very much COVID regulations. They mix with the team. They talk with Nuno. They're constantly in and around the squad on a daily basis and on match days. So because they do that, that's why they have to be in those seats. They then can't go up to the stands, mix with other people on a match day, come out of the bubble, and then go back within the squad. That's how it works. Um, so they are there, I think, until I think there's going to be a review in October, I think it is, about all of that. Um, but yeah, I, I was a bit surprised when I saw that story the other day. What I'd always say is every season at every club, there's always 
maybe one or two players who aren't particularly happy with how things have gone for them, and then you kind of end up with stories like that appear. Um, from my understanding, and this is talking to various people around the players, people at the club, agents, things like that, is that they've Paratici has settled in very well. Hitchens, I think, is pretty popular with the players, from what I can tell. Um, and funnily enough, both of them, Paratici and Hitchin, I'm told are really, really good friends and have been for years. Um, so they've already got that relationship. Yes, they're both very passionate. Perhaps, you know, perhaps bordering on slightly too much. But then we've always said, um, and I remember Pot saying this, that, you know, when he played against Juventus and you saw the Juventus technical directors putting such pressure on the referee and the officials and stuff like that, and he's kind of like, maybe we need to learn to be a bit more like that. And this is kind of what we're getting. And now some people are kind of trying to make out it's a bad thing. I, I don't think it is, personally. I think... You know, I think I saw the article said something about the players are a bit like feel awkward having these people around them. I, I, as I said, I think Hitchin is among those players all the time. That's why I get the impression that he's very close to them. Um, Paratici will become that guy as well. Um, and I would wonder, you know, what, what, are you, what are you scared on that bench of someone hearing? It's like, you know, I don't, I don't get it. You're already sitting right behind the head coach. So what, what, what were you going to say? Oh, no, I'm surrounded kind of thing. It's like you're not just going to absolutely abuse the, like Nuno and his tactics anyway. So I, I didn't kind of understand the point of that. But, hey, everyone has their different opinions. But, yeah, no, I, don't, I don't think it's a bad thing, personally. I think it shows that everyone's together and all moving in one direction. I just don't – and I don't mean the band. I think, it, I think that's a good thing. I think it's uh, something that Spurs have needed. I think there's too much fragmentation, too much of a rupture in that squad um and yeah every single season there's um i remember on the potch towards the end all oh, the players think his training sessions are stale and boring then under Mourinho, it's like they very swiftly came out oh the training sessions are there's no energy there's nothing in them and it's just like i get it we get it there's certain players who maybe aren't happy with how things are going i get it but ultimately it's about the collective for me and i think it suits the collective Right, we'll do uh, one more we'll question one more as we've... Yes. Uh, yeah, we can do as we've uh, talked about. We'll, we'll do now. quick answers, yeah, one more each. Right, I'm going to ask you two questions in one. <laughs> one more each, if you ask <laughs> Well, it's about Hugo Lloris. I've had two different questions. Okay. Uh, first one from Adam James Harris is, will Hugo be offered a new contract? And then the second question from Dan Gilbert. Just let me find it. Uh who would be the likely captain slash vice captain if Larice leaves this summer or next summer? Right. Okay. So Hugo Lloris himself has stated recently that there's been nothing forthcoming from the club, hasn't he? He's, he's come out publicly to say that, so I don't have to reveal any incredible insider info there. He's, he's very much stated that himself. I'd, I'd be surprised if they don't offer him um, a small extension. The problem with Spurs is when players reach a certain age, I think Sissoko and Alderweireld are very much exceptions to the rule. If you're in your 30s, you don't get very long extensions to your contract. Um, I'd be surprised if they don't at least offer one. If he continues how he is, I mean, Hugo is not really showing any signs of decline, I'd say. I'd actually say he's 
arguably become more consistent in the last couple of seasons. I think he's actually making less of the mistakes. That may be because he's not having to play the ball out the back like he was under Poch. That could be a, a help. Um, and I think, yeah, I think he's good for the club and the players. He's such an experienced guy, such a level-headed guy. I mean, when we saw him after Zagreb, for him to go off like that, you knew stuff was wrong in that dressing room. You know, you, you don't ruffle Hugo Lloris very easy. So for him to call out other players was a huge moment. And again, points to how much Nuno's done, I feel, in, in repairing things. Um, and what was the second part about replacement? If he does go, who would yeah. be the likely captain and vice-captain? Ah, captain and vice-captain. Okay, I was going to say, Galini's kind of is there as the heir apparent ready. But in terms of captain, vice-captain... Oh, it's one of those where the political answer would probably be Harry Kane. Um, you know, as part of the whole, we want you to stay. Uh, Harry Kane, we want you to stay. I'm going to start chanting it. Um, I think it would make sense as the, you know, the academy boy done good and all that to be the captain. I think you know my opinion on Harry Kane as a captain. I think he definitely is a decent captain. I wouldn't say he's the greatest captain in the world. I think he's more a lead uh, by example rather than a lead by kind of voice person. For me personally, I think Hoybier ticks all of the boxes for a captain. I think he acts like a captain on the pitch with example, but I also think he's very much, or well, we've heard him when the fans aren't there, he doesn't stop. He doesn't shut up, essentially. He's constantly talking to everyone around him. And I feel that that's kind of, yeah, a key element for me of, um, yeah, of really of, of of what a captain should be doing on the pitch and everything. And I, I think it may be the case that if Kane were to stay, they go with him as the captain and they go with um, Hoybier as a vice captain. I think Kane's currently vice captain. Um, it's interesting. I don't know if there's another vice captain at the moment. Maybe Eric Dyer? Eric Dyer seems to get the armband a lot when um, when it's kind of being passed around a bit. Um, sorry, I'm slightly distracted because I really, there was a really good question about Dylan Markenday that I want to ask you as my was final Was that one. the question, will we see him play up front a lot more and take it in turns with Dane Scarlett? Was that yeah, that, it, it was essentially that. It was It was pretty much I just wanted to get you to talk about Dylan. Hey, I found it. Fantastic. Ooh, I thought I wasn't going to find it in time. Okay, so yeah, hopefully that was fine on the captain question. So ABC team asks... Do you know if there's a feeling that Dylan Markenday could have a long-term future as a striker, further having to having performed so well at Leeds last week and his general finishing prowess, and could share some minutes with, say, Scarlett in that role? I mean, I'd add to that, just if anyone isn't aware, just tell them how good Dylan Markenday has been recently. Yeah, really good. He started the season with a goal, was it, against Chelsea? Uh, the under-23s, and then followed that up with... Uh, Hat trick away at Leeds, so he started the season on fire. He's was it the Passos de Ferreira game, the second leg when he was in the squad? Yeah, he was on the bench, yep. And last season as well, I think he certainly made an impact on Jose Mourinho because he had him on the bench for the last game, I think the second leg of so. that. He had a terrific so. end of the season, um, Dylan did. He was, I think, he was really good end of the season, he just carried that into this season. Yeah, so he's like you said, he's, he's just really kicked on over the uh, past few months. And Nuno's already made it clear that everyone at Tottenham's in these plans. It's not just the first team squad. They'll be taking a look at, you know, the development squad. And we've seen that already with Niall John getting minutes in the Conference League, uh, Dane as well. And 
Mark and Day is in the Conference League squad on the B list. So I think there's going to be uh, opportunities there for him. And, you know, if he can carry on the way he has been all season uh, so far, then, you know, he's going to fancy his chances of getting some minutes and potentially up front as well. Yeah, I mean, he's more naturally, he's more kind of a, a wide man that maybe comes off the right-hand side. I'd be surprised if it would be in a striker role because with no, um, you know, you don't have to be a certain type to be a striker, but I would say maybe maybe his frame and his height-wise would doesn't lend itself to being a natural front man. It's probably more um, behind the striker and that kind of role. But yeah, I think the key thing is is he's absolutely smashing it. And it's very difficult. This is what I've said about other players, senior players as well. If you are just every week producing high-level performances, it becomes impossible to ignore what you're doing. And I'd maybe say that Dylan, let's say, oh, I don't know, at some point last season, maybe the club might have looked at him and thought, oh, maybe it's not going to be a future with Tottenham, perhaps. And I think he's just made it so difficult to ignore him right now that I think, you know, I think he will get minutes in the Cups. And, and I really hope that he takes that as well because he's in incredible form. It's very similar to Jaffet Tenganga. There was talk that Jaffet Tenganga was heading out of the club. You know, it was almost like a bit of a last chance saloon when he went on a pre-season with Poch um, 2019. It was the Asia Tour. Um, and his contract was kind of heading towards its end. Bang. You know, absolutely smashed it on that pre-season. And now Jaffet Tanganga is right now first choice for the right back at Tottenham. And there's no reason with Dylan Markenday, with the ability he's got, he reminds me very slightly in the way he moves with the ball of, of Marcus Edwards. Um, obviously, a little bit different kind of off the um, off the ball and around him uh, to, to what happened with Marcus is obviously very well documented. Um, and there's no reason why he can't absolutely smash it. I really hope he does because there's a lot of talent. Yeah. Right, uh, I think we'll leave that there for today's uh, episode six of Golden Guest Hot Tottenham. Yeah. It's a Q&A special, we've answered plenty, so apologies if we didn't answer your questions, but I think we were inundated with probably about 100 plus questions. It was over more than 100, yeah. And we'll do more yeah. in the next international breaks as well. We'll do them again. Yeah, so if you've got any questions, just save them until next time. Uh, international breaks are pretty much every month at the moment so <laughs> give it a few more weeks so yeah we'll be doing uh, another one so as always thank you for tuning into the podcast hopefully this one does drop on uh, Apple yeah. podcast this time after what happened last week and you know if you ever want to give us a like or leave us a review that would be very much appreciated so it helps the algorithm always, apparently it helps us reach more Spurs fans so we're told Right, so uh, we'll be back next week again to reflect on the Crystal Palace game and then look forward to the first Europa Conference League game away in France at Rennes. So thank you as always for joining us and we'll speak with you next week.